Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Art of Money podcast, where I share honest conversations about how money influences our personal experiences, beliefs, and relationships, infusing this taboo subject with a loving dose of dark chocolate and inspiring encouragement. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, which is my flagship program, year-long money school, and global community. Integrating money healing, money practices, and money maps, The Art of Money is my holistic framework, blending therapeutic, body-based practices with the real-life tools you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your relationship with money. So you can say goodbye to that dusty old budget and hello to healing your money life. Learn more on my website, barrytesler.com. For now, grab something to sip on, get comfy, and tune in to today's episode of the Art of Money podcast. If you've been following along in this first mini season of our podcast, You've likely noticed that most of the airtime in the conversations has been devoted to the folks Barry has interviewed. But today, we're going to spend most of our time with Barry as she teaches a few of the core elements of the Art of Money methodology to live audiences at a number of different events around America and some events online around the world. So let's start here with Chantal Perrot, the founder of the live yearly conference Emerging Women introducing Barry at an Emerging Women event in Denver. All right, so our next speaker, Barry Tesler. She's a financial therapist. And um, there's something about her. Every time I meet with her, I'm like, okay, here's what's going on with my money. And it, it's never really about the money with her. I mean, it's all this other super deep stuff, so I so appreciate that term. I didn't know you actually called yourself a financial therapist. She's a mentor, a coach. Um, she has a, a business called The Art of Money, and she works with lots of folks on these issues. And she's on a mission to bring healing, awareness, and unshaming to our money relationships through her nurturing and body-centered approach. Please welcome to the stage, Barry Tesler. Hi, everyone. I'm just going to take a second to just get in my body and use this microphone. So... As Chantal said, I call myself a financial therapist. And usually when I'm out in the world and I tell people I'm a financial therapist, people immediately go, oh, I need that, you know? Other times people give me like the cocked head, the blank stare, but most people go, oh, I need that, you know? And I say, yes, I understand, I need that too. And, and I've been doing financial therapy work for the last 13 years. And a decade before that, I trained to be a body-centered psychotherapist. And here's Barry being broadcast online in an Art of Money symposium event held by Entheos, going a little deeper into the story of how she found herself leading a year-long money school. On the surface level, this story you'll hear is how and why she came to create the Art of Money work. But on a deeper level, it's a similar story that so many of us go through. Growing up without any solid teachings around how to relate with and manage money. I have my own version of Barry's story, and there's a good chance that you do as well. Now, of course, I don't know you, so how can I say that with any confidence? Well, because Barry and I have seen thousands of people go through the art of money work over the last 15 years, and everyone seems to have a similar story. So let's pick her story back up. If you listened to episode three in this season, you heard a few bits and pieces of this story. She was going to school to learn how to become a body-centered psychotherapist, and she went to Naropa University and was working in hospice and leading authentic movement groups, but I never imagined that I would be leading a year-long money school or teaching a methodology called the art of money. Never, ever. You know, when I was younger, I was a dancer, and so I knew that that had a big influence in my life and was going to lead me somewhere. I needed to be included in the work that I was doing. 
Um, early on, I thought, well, you know, as a preteen, maybe I'll be a businesswoman because that's what my father does. And then as I started getting into late teens, I started asking my parents if I could go to therapy. And they said, yes, I, I, I was so curious about the deeper workings of myself. I was still a normal teenager, like wild and playing all those games. And yet I wanted to go to therapy. So, so being a psychotherapist started coming into the mix and, you know, and I took myself to Naropa University in my twenties. And that's when I did all this deep work on myself and I got to be my own case study, which I think is really the only true way to become a therapist and to be able to hold really deep space for other people. So I had an incredible training at Naropa. We went deep. We studied every topic under the sun, everything from food and body and intimacy and sexuality and sensuality and spirituality and God and we did all the gender, you know, we did all the deep work. And for me, I had an epiphany when my school loan came due and that was my moment. And then I realized, wait a second, do I have a relationship to money? Wait a second, they completely left this topic out of my incredible graduate program while I was becoming a therapist. Wait a second, they left this out of undergrad and no, I didn't get this training and education in small increments from grade school on up. And so it became so obvious to me that this was a big missing piece for me. And I started looking around at my community and my community came from all different backgrounds, from wealthy families, from middle class, from you know working class. And we all were doing incredible work on ourselves. And we were all in the creative community and the conscious community. And yet money still seemed to be the last frontier. It still seemed to be one of the last taboos and the last shadow pieces for myself to uncover and for all of us to uncover. So even though <laughs> the school lo loan terrified me, it became an initiation where I got to you know, take stock at what is my relationship to money. I don't have one. I basically get my bank statements in the mail and throw them out. And it's time, just like all these other areas of my life um, that I've sat down next to me and said, you know, here's some tea, here's some chocolate. Let's begin to understand each other, our strengths, our challenges. Um, in all these other areas, I did it with everything. And then it was time to do the same journey with money. And so at the age of 28, I began learning everything that I could about money, the language of money, bookkeeping systems. I surprisingly fell in love with bookkeeping and shocked the hell out of myself. And <laughs> I just fell in love and immediately realized that there was so much more going on. And I knew immediately if I was going to do this money thing. If I was going to have a relationship to money, I had to imbue it with qualities that were important to me. So sacredness, meaning, fun, and on and on. So that's how I set forth on a path of learning everything I could about money and beginning to do my own bookkeeping. And I had a bookkeeping business for artists and therapists, and that was fascinating. When Barry first began creating the Art of Money methodology, one of the first things she did was apply some of her somatic psychology training into a little practice that might sound almost too simple to be of any benefit to you. But this one practice has become a favorite of the folks who go through the Art of Money work. Here's Barry on stage at the Emerging Women Conference in New York. So one of the first practices that I want to bring to all of you is the body check-in. The body check-in is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite tools. Of course it comes from my somatic psychology background. And the body check-in is just taking a moment to close your eyes if you want, to leave them open, and just check in on a physical level. What are you noticing right now? Are your feet touching the floor? Is your butt, your back against the chair? Are your shoulders upright? Let yourself notice any sensations in your body. Let yourself notice any emotions in your body. Let yourself notice your breath. 
So how deep is your breath in your body? Is it up in your neck? Is it in your heart? Is it down in your solar plexus, in your belly? How deep, how full? And then notice any thoughts that are going across your screen. Some people call this meditation. Some people call it centering. We all have different versions of what a body check-in is. For me, this is an incredible practice and tool to bring to all of the daily money interactions that we have. And there are so many of them. So when we're going to have a money conversation with our honey, invite a body check-in before. Maybe in the heat of the moment, in the heat of the conversation, you realize you're really pissed. <laughs> or you're you know, reviewing numbers and you're so bored and you just want to fall asleep, or you want to run screaming from the room, I hate this, you know, or, or this is really, this is so boring and not creative. Like, the spectrum of feelings when it comes to money is just like any other big topic of life. I call this one of our life gardens. And in our life garden, we need to give it love and attention and nurturing and care, and we don't want to overwater it, we don't want to underwater it. But the feeling spectrum here, when we come and sit down for money, it's different for all of us, right? Some of us get really pissed, and we're just wanting someone to do this for us. Like, who's going to save me or rescue me or, or take care of this damn money stuff, right? Who's going to do this? Or I'm pissed that I was not taught what this even means or how to read reports or what the, how to do this. or th There's that. Then there's some of us feel really guilty that we came from money. Some of us feel guilty that we have more money than other people. Guilt can go on and on. Some of us feel extremely sad when we think about money and we feel into money. Some of us feel more excited or hopeful or, you know, I'd even talk about anxiety. So there's the anxiety, there's the being afraid, there's the being pissed, and then there's more of, wait a second, what? Qualities can I bring to my relationship to money? Bringing more sacredness, bringing more meaning, bringing more fun. And how can I use this as a wonderful exchange to help me create a livelihood based on values and my vision and my dreams? Right? So the body check-in is this wonderful practice to bring to all these daily interactions, whether it's going to talk to your honey about money, whether it's going to talk to a business partner about money, whether you're going to your mailbox and you still get your bills that way. Whether you're going to the grocery store and you have a list and you want to stay within that list, or you go to the shopping mall and you leave the shopping mall and all of a sudden you wake up and you said, what happened? Like, where did I go? I just checked out. So body check-ins can be inserted before the event's going to happen, before the money conversation's going to happen. It can happen during, and it can certainly happen after. And for me, it's just an incredible learning tool to learn about our money stories, to learn about our money patterns, to learn about our strengths and our challenges. So folks do my entire year-long program, and they come back and they say that body check-in was it, was the shit. Like that body check-in <laughs> really was it. So that's doing, adding that in daily to all these different money interactions brought so much more awareness and understanding to my money story and all of it. And two little fun stories about this of how it can actually be used in real life is one, is that one of my dear friends uh, who was a client, she was going into the Apple store. Actually, let's let her friend Rebecca tell the story. Barry and I were in Rebecca's living room recording a conversation for an interview and... This is um, something about you taking some of the art of money tools mm -hmm. and practices mm -hmm. and, and decision-making about what you're going to buy and where you're going to spend your money and where you're not. And you went to the Apple store the to Apple buy store. yourself a, a computer. new computer. So Which that. my computer, I mean, it started because my computer got stolen. Which was already this moment where I felt totally irresponsible because it was, mm -hmm. I had left it in my car and I had run in to do an errand and I accidentally, I, I don't know what happened, but I must have left the doors open or something happened and someone literally walked by and took my computer out of my car. And so I was already in the state of, I'm so irresponsible and mm -hmm. how could I let that happen? And, you know, but I needed a new computer. 
And so I go into the Apple store and I could feel my adolescent self like <laughs> taking coming over. on, Take coming on. Over. And all the shiny, blingy apple thingies coming out of the store at Poor me. Poor over there was going, uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, oh. You know, and then the salesperson coming and saying, ooh, this. And so, you know, I start with, you know, tell me about what is it you need and what is it that you had. And, you know, I start very kind of grounded and sort of. But I have on my shoulder over me my adolescent self who's also like, but I could want to get into this and this and this, and maybe I need that much more RAM or whatever <laughs> memory, and maybe the nicer screen with the duh, 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 you know, I don't even know what it, it was. I mean, I couldn't tell you what it is now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it was shiny, and mm-hmm. I found myself wanting to buy it mm-hmm. <laughs> and like justifying, I can't remember what the number was at this point, but justifying a significant increase than what I had actually researched on the computer, what I needed for where I was. Um, And I was about to buy it, and then I said, "Mm." and I took a breath, and I, you know, I was working with you at the time, and I said, slow down, body check in, and I left. I said, I'm gonna gonna go out to the car, and I left, and I, I think I went to the car, I went for a walk around the block, but I got, Grounded, and I got an opportunity to talk to that self. Right, right. To talk to that teenager. That self. teenager. Yeah. I remember I did it. I was like, "Okay, hello, you." <laughs> like you know. She was like, "But I want. I, I want. Really I want. really, really, really want." And she was so good at convincing me why right. she needed it. Right. And why it was a good idea, or why, you know. And I had to really kind of help her understand that it was a moment in time that she was really wanting and also honor her because my adolescent self is extremely rebellious like Mm -hmm. so rebellious and so if I don't listen to her she mows me over in no time she's very persuasive too oh yeah she when she wants something she gets it gets it (laughs) yeah I mean and so I've had to learn to be really um, loving gentle and strategic with her and give her room to you know put her say in, um, listen to her, validate, um, you know, and it ended up that I went back in and I, and I didn't buy the, you bought the medium, I bought the the medium medium level computer. Yeah. That's what it was, which I think is what I was going for. It was. Yeah. And I felt it was amazing because it was such a small thing, Mm. but it was a huge triumph for me. And it was really, um, it was a yeah. big day, not just because I didn't spend the money, but actually because I got in a relationship with this adolescent part of me around money. Mm. And that was the, that was the triumph mm. for me. Mm. And on that note, Barry said that... For some of us, we're still back at our teenager phase when it comes to our relationship to money. And we're just one rebel. We want what we want now, you know? And so we just got to learn from that. I have an inner teenager that, that comes out sometimes. Others of us, we actually feel like we're more at the toddler phase when it comes to our relationship to money. So that's just some of the metaphor description that my community uses that actually feels really helpful to us to say, I really have developed in all these other areas of my life. And when it comes to money, I'm still a toddler, and that's okay, because I can learn and grow and learn these skill sets as well, you know, on all levels. And Barry actually really does practice the things she teaches about in her Art of Money program. Here's how she used the body check-in when we bought our first electric car a couple years ago. A car that I had been dreaming of buying since I was 10. This is a little family story. So um, it's a Saturday. I'm with my husband and my six-year-old son, Noah. And we're at the coffee shop. And me and my husband had been having a conversation about the Nissan Leaf probably for three years. He'd wanted an electric car probably, you know, for the last 20 or so years. Actually, it was more like 30 years. I'd seriously been dreaming of owning an electric car since I was about 10, which was back in 1982, when there were very few electric cars around. So we go to this cafe, it was a new place, and all of a sudden we look over and there's this green, small car dealership with the exact Nissan Leafs that he's been talking to me about for two or three years. 
And sure enough, he's like, you want to try it, you know? And so we go over, but this is a two to three year money conversation that we've been having. So we've been having money dates, which I'll talk about, like for the last 14 years. They were not fun at all at first, and they've become really beautiful. Okay, hold on a second here, wifey. We had some really good money dates back in the day. Some of them were challenging, sure, but they weren't all so bad. So we, we saunter over to the car dealership, and all of a sudden we're actually talking numbers, right? We're talking the monthly amount, we're talking, uh, you know, all of it, and I suddenly notice that I'm having anxiety. Simple. So for me, it's not like I've been doing body check-ins for what, you know, I'm going to be 46. So for the last few decades, I've been doing body check-ins, so I don't have any feelings anymore. Right? That's not how it goes. It's like, for me, one of my feelings is anxiety, like for big purchases or medium, medium to big size purchases. So I'm very aware that I'm starting to hyperventilate a little bit <laughs> and have some anxiety. So what do I do, I say, I'm going to go to the bathroom. A bathroom is a great place to do body check-ins for me. Okay? It's a fabulous place um, if you're half introverted. So I took myself to the bathroom and I did a full body check-in physically, sensationally, emotionally, you know, my breath. You know, I went through the whole thing and I just calmed myself down and I centered myself and I was like, okay, this is my routine. This is one of my routines. I'm, I don't expect that these feelings are going to go away. I know them. I'm going to learn from them. I took myself back into the room and I said, okay, dear husband, if we're going to make this decision, I need to talk about, I need to have a money date right here. All right, let me paint the scene for you a bit here. I'm sitting in a large room at this green eco car dealership. We're at the desk of the main salesman there, a very friendly down-to-earth guy named Luke. At the time, I didn't know anything other than suddenly my wife had to go to the bathroom. I had a sense she was getting nervous, but I didn't know she was doing a body check-in in the car dealership bathroom. Meanwhile, I'm making small talk with Luke, and I probably told him how I'd been dreaming of driving an electric car that's charged up with solar energy since I was 10 years old. And then my dear wife comes back, sits down in the chair next to me, and announces in front of Luke that we need to have a money date right there. And she looked at Luke and said, you can stay if you want to. We're just going to run through some numbers and forecasting here. Luke didn't seem phased at all. Actually, he seemed rather entertained. Then she said, But we need to talk about short-term, mid-term, and long-term goals. Is this, do we have the cash flow for this? Yes. Is this going to affect our long-term goals? No. You know, I just had to have a whole money date and a whole conversation. And the body check-in was really that simple little thing that made me realize, like, I'm starting to hyperventilate. And I just need to take myself to the bathroom, and then I can come back, and then I can make a wise decision right, based on a lot more information. Another common theme that arises in both the art of money work itself and in the lives of people who go through the program is the issue of finding one's value in the world. Oftentimes, doing this requires untangling the threads between our sense of worth and the amount of money that we're making, and also restructuring our value to be in alignment with what we're earning and charging for our work. Barry said that this issue has come up since day one and it, it's, it comes up with all my students and my community and it's a concept of value, knowing our value and it's everything from how do I know my value, what is my worth, how do I feel it in my body, in my bones, in my cells, what's the connection with money and value and if i start owning my value more will i bring in more income will i spend differently will i save differently and really on a daily basis how do i grow and cultivate and claim my value more and more so even recently i created a pinterest board with the name knowing your value and it's getting some of the most like traffic and interaction and I want to read a few of those quotes for you and these quotes are in my boobs Pinterest quotes in my boobs okay success is liking yourself liking what you do and liking how you did it Maya Angelou 
We could replace that with value. It's much more interesting to embrace who you really are rather than waste energy pretending to be someone else. Supposedly, that's Adam Levine. I like that. You are valuable just because you exist, not because of what you do or what you have done, but simply because you are. Max Lusado. So value, in my experience, is paradoxical. It's subjective. It's ever-changing. It's ever-growing and deepening and ripening with age. And on one hand, value has absolutely nothing to do with how much or how little money we have in our bank accounts. We could never put a number on our intrinsic values. Our value and our worth really comes from simply being a unique human with unique gifts. And as Victoria Erickson says, you are worth everything now. So many of us struggle with this question of value or worth. Even as recently as last year, I went through a several month period where I just felt really crappy about the work I was putting out into the world and my ability to make a positive impact in people's lives. For many people, our struggles around value and worth become formative experiences, guiding us to do some of our best work in the world. Sometimes, though, we have to go through failures to get to that place. For Barry... It was my late 30s, and I had one of my biggest failures of my life, and that's the story I want to tell you. So, seven years ago, right around this time, I got the call, and I got the call from a very well-known publishing company. And back in the day, they were doing a lot of audio. And that publishing company was Sounds True. And they wanted to sign a contract with me so that I would do a 12-CD set for them. I was so excited. I always had a sense I would work with this publishing company. And it came true. They were calling me, and they wanted, and so we signed the contract. And I remember preparing as much as I could over the summer, but this is material. I taught, as I was saying, in every format imaginable. I gave hundreds and hundreds of talks on this. And they fly me out to their fabulous studio. And I, I remember, I was 38 years old. I was like in the prime of my health. And I remember the clothes I was wearing, they were really cute. And I got into that studio, and they set me up with the microphone, and they set me up with all of my notes and my outlines on this music stand. And three, two, one, begin. And I started talking, and I started teaching, and I started doing my thing, and I probably got to about 45 minutes in. And then I just blanked out. I just stopped. And I kept staring at this microphone, this black microphone. And I'm thinking, I do this all the time. What is different here? What is going on? And so I tried some more. And I tried to find the words. And I tried to teach. And I was sitting there alone in this studio with this, this gorgeous studio with this glass window. And I could see the people producing it. On the other side, they were smiling, kind of. And I... <laughs> tried over and over and over and we went to day two and basically what happened was I could not talk and teach to myself alone in a room and we canceled the contract and I was devastated I was heartbroken I question everything about my value everything do I even have anything to say should I just stop my work right now I'm done I'm done and my mother got on the phone with me at that time, and she taught me something. And she said, honey, remember Loretta Lynn, that country singer and the coal miner's daughter? Now, my mom's, my Jewish mom only listened to soul and R&B when I was growing up. But something about this country singer Loretta Lynn and the movie Coal Miner's Daughter really spoke to her. Do you remember? She, they had to turn her around from the cameras. And they had, they had to turn her around from the recording studio. And they turned her around, and they would sit her children in front of her. And that's 
how she brought her gifts to the world. She sang to her children, never to a camera, never to a large audience. That's how she was able to do it. And it was a light bulb for me. It was, I need my community. I need students. I need live interactions for me to thrive. We co-create this money work together, and this conscious money movement is not just coming through me. So it was a huge closed door in my life and where I really question everything. Now, the fascinating thing is the clo huge closed door happened, and six weeks later, I got pregnant with my first and only child and had him right before my 40th birthday. So what wound up happening is then I was sleep deprived. <laughs> and, you know, but what, also what was happening in there was how do I get redemption? And that's kind of a strong word. I knew my gifts. I knew I could teach my material. I knew it through and through. But I didn't know how to own it and set up the environment for me to thrive. That's what I didn't know. And that was the value lesson for me. So it was a pivotal moment where then, you know, the next few years and over the last six years, I, I wanted to find a way, two things. One, I wanted to produce my own home study. I wanted to prove to myself that I could create this and own my value here and bring it out into the world and do it in a way where I would thrive. I wanted to do that. So I wound up announcing to my community, I'm doing one last live class in this form and I got 60 students. So I used to teach and get 10 to 20 students. So there was this leap. And then instead of recording in a studio or recording in my office, the light bulb, I need students and community. So we recorded a six month journey of my methodology. And then we created a workbook that I co-created with someone. So I produced a whole home study program. And that program is still something that a lot of my private clients still use. But I knew that there was a whole next level for me. And so I was approaching my 44th year. And I got the vision. It was as though something had changed in my body, in my bones, in my cells. I could feel that my value had matured. Something about that 44th year, I felt different in my body. And all of a sudden, I visioned a year-long program. Instead of a three-month or eight-week course or six-month, I really got, I was ready for a year-long community and, and journey, and so was my community. And so I visioned it all. Of course, there was Q&A calls where I'd be interacting with everyone. Of course, there's a private community where I'm interacting with them. But for me, it was about how do I honor my value and my gifts and my unique gifts and bring them to my community that's going to create the most support for them and, and also be the most lucrative for me. And so here's where price point came in and business model. So basically, after having a mid-price point for years, I decided to lower my price point. And you know that goes against the mythology. We're supposed to raise our fees, double our fees, charge what we're worth. And I don't believe in any of that. It's ever-changing. Our fees are always changing. It's about checking in with our body, what's right, what feels right. So I lowered my price point, lowered it on a monthly basis, and then went from 60 students to 320 students in our first year. And this year, we have 370 students in 17 countries. So for me, I feel that was, that's a feminine approach to business for me. That's a feminine approach to listening to how can I do this in a way that's really going to serve my community and that's going to create and bring my gifts and, be, and create an incredible livelihood. So the moral of these stories is number one, is that our value ripens and grows with age. So age is really on our side with this one. And we all grow into our strengths. We all grow into our strengths and value at different pacing and rhythm. And I really trust that and I really honor that. And there are all of these practices on an internal level and an external level that I've been just mentioning a bit that can also really help. And failures are amazing. Failures are essential. They are really, really essential to really understanding when we're off track, when we need to get on the right track, when we're not fully honoring or owning our value, and when we need to learn how to do that in a different way or create an environment for ourselves where we can fully show up 
and thrive. Failures can indeed point us in the direction of where we can fully deliver our value to the world, even if they're uncomfortable to handle right after they happen. Sometimes, though, there isn't a big failure event. Sometimes you discover your value in slow motion over time, like when your sense of worth is directly tied to the amount of money you make. This is a common situation for many people, like our friend Trip Lanier. He's a coach who helps men reach their full potential in life, and he's also the founder of the New Man Podcast. Trip was the leader of the men's group that I'm still a part of back when I joined it about eight years ago. He was talking with Barry about where he struggled around money and where he felt contracted around it, and it led right into this issue of self-worth. Because I thought, I, uh, I thought that I, I had kind of gone through some money stuff. I had already, I owned a business. I started a business when I was 22 okay. and did that for like 12 years. And I made enough money to do the things that I wanted to do. I could travel around the world. I could go, I was in a rock band and that allowed me to go make records and perform all over the country. I could go to LA and do that whole thing. Like I got to live this whole dream and I had people working for me. So I kind of figured like, oh, maybe, maybe I've got this stuff kind of handled. You know, but when I sold that company to step into the next phase of what I really wanted to do, which was a big question mark, I wasn't quite sure what that was, but I knew I wanted to do something that actually helped people and impacted people and had some meaning. That's what was missing from my life before. But I didn't know what that was going to be. I didn't know what was possible. And, and so that's where I started to feel my contraction was... Um, when I tied my sense of self-worth and I tied my sense of identity to money, that was when I, I bumped up. That's when I hit this wall and it was like, oh my gosh, like I don't want people to see this part of me. If I'm not making money or if I'm not successful, then who am I? Mm. So I would say that that was the, and I didn't hit that until I was in you know my early mid thirties. Yeah. I'm okay. 40 now. So that, that, was, that was kind of like, oh, I do have some money stuff <laughs> okay so you you thought i mean you you had a great career in your 20s and you got to be a right. rock star and all that right. and money was flowing in and then you thought you had it handled this money thing right. i got this money thing handled and then life transition and then right. you wanted to do something that was more meaningful deeper right really help people and then you went into a transition yeah. I went into a transition, and the difference was I, there was there wasn't a lot of sunlight between who I was and what I offered. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At least that was the story I was telling myself. And mm -hmm. so when people didn't want my services as a coach or whatever, it it was a, it was painful. And what that had me do was lower my rate, or it would affect the way that I coached, or um, had me like in the beginning like not asking for money to coach. It was all this stuff, and that affected. Um, my ability to earn money, et cetera, et cetera. So there was a difference between, you know, what I could provide of value and then my ability to bring in money or the fear or this kind of thing. So I was playing a lot smaller to avoid any kind of um, threat to my self-worth, if that makes sense. Yeah. But you were also, I mean, there has to be a transition place where you're working it out. Like right. it was the beginning of this new work for you. Right. right. And at the beginning, when we are the coach, the therapist, or we are our work, it is enmeshed. And there is some confusion about self-worth and value. And if we charge a certain rate, does that mean what does that necessarily equate to what our worth is? And so it right. sounds like, I mean, you were you had to do, like most of us, a lot of work in there to really untangle all of that. At the beginning, you were giving away time or you were charging less or giving mm -hmm. discounts or I, I I think that's all standard that stuff. was standard but yeah. I will say that there was a point where the world that I was in I was trying to get I think there was a part of it was I was trying to get it right I was trying to be a good coach and if I, I think in my mind if I thought if I was a good coach that would lead to more security right so okay. money for me was this extension of like a sense of security mm -hmm. and so if I'm a good coach and I follow the rules, then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be successful as a coach and I'll be more secure. That was this little script that was running in my head. But I hated coaching as a good coach. It was so draining. And I, I felt like the real me and, and who I was was some, stuffed in some box somewhere. 
And so I remember there was one day where I was like, oh, I hate coaching. I don't want to coach this way. And I was like, well, if I'm going to hang it up, then I might as well get fired. So why don't I coach in a way where I'm willing to be fired? Mm -hmm. Why don't I do what I do in a way that where I'm willing to be fired? Like, like at, from service, not just like, oh boy, I'm going to like let it rip now, but just yeah. like, if I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to serve people the way that I feel that I can serve and hopefully transcend and include mm -hmm. the things that I've learned to be a quote unquote good coach and to deliver value. And, um, once I started, once I wasn't afraid to be fired anymore and I was, that was all tied to money, then it took off. That's when it became fun for me. Yeah. And that's when uh, I believe that I really was, was much better as a coach. And I think that the, I provided a much higher value for them because that's what's really about. It wasn't about me. It was about yeah. me delivering value. Yeah. This work of finding your value, your sense of worth and expressing it in the world is part of the inner work around money that people are supported to do in the art of money work. It's crazy important to do this inner work of healing our emotions and memories and thoughts around money before we jump in and start doing more traditional money management work, like bookkeeping and tracking your spending and reading financial reports and creating budgets. Without the inner money healing work as a foundation, you can start implementing practical money management skills and never really solve the underlying hidden problems lurking in the basement. But once you've made significant progress in that area, then the practical money skills become vital. They become the outer expression of the inner changes you've made and can actually serve as fuel for making huge changes in your outer money life. So we're gonna shift into talking about the practical side of this conscious money work that Barry teaches. She calls this phase of the work the money practices phase. So here are the two, here are two practices in the money practices phase. And I just want to give a little overview of this. So money practices for me is the concept that we're all doing practices in our lives. Many of us have a yoga practice. We have a meditation practice. I hike every day on my mountain right out my door, Mount Sinaitis. We all have practices. And I just started realizing that money is such an important garden of life. And so as soon as I started seeing that money is an area of life that's like a garden, it needs our attention and nurturing and care, just like our relationship to food and our body and our relationship to intimacy and on and on. I just realized we need practices. We need practices and we need to bring all the concepts that we're bringing to all these other areas of lives and we just need to imbue them right into our relationship to money. Again, bringing the, for me, the sacredness and meaning and playfulness into everything that I do. Um, so one even little example, and then I'll get into these two practices, is that right when I began 15 years ago, I realized my folks need to bring their values into this work. If they're going to sit their butts down and sit down and interact with the bookkeeping system, it needs to have their values right in there so that when they look at their own bookkeeping systems and interact with them, that they see what their intentions are in their lives. They see what their dreams are. They see what their goals are. They see what their values are. And so right away, I thought, how can I add these values into our bookkeeping system? And so I just came up with the simple concept of renaming, just renaming everything. So instead of the word budget, I was like a map of intention or a money map or whatever word feels great to you, right? Another few examples is rent and mortgage. For me, it means home. So for some folks, it's sanctuary. For some folks, it's Love Shack. So imagine renaming your rent or your mortgage to Love Shack, baby, or, you know, or sanctuary or home. And just that little twist, you know, shifts it from that damn bill or that damn transfer to, wait a second, am I really representing my values here? You know, when I'm spending my money in this way, yes or no? Right. One other little example, the personal one from our household is that my husband and I were um, saving our tax money, which we're very proud of, but then we weren't sending it off. And we were noticing that there was a little pause. <laughs> there was a big pause there and we were feeling a little pissy. And so we had to sit down and have a conversation with each other around what's really going on here and how can we honor this. 
and we just had terrible flash flooding in Boulder. This was a year ago in Boulder, Colorado. The National Guard was in town, literally saving people by helicopter rescue. And so Forrest and I came up with community contribution instead of taxes. Now that doesn't fully represent like what a chunk of our tax money is going to, right? Um, but it just by shifting the name from taxes or mm, taxes, you know, we really got in touch with where does a good portion of our money go to when we send it off to taxes and we got a good portion goes to community contribution. And just that little shift made such a difference. We sent it off sooner. One last one is just even like renaming a debt. We always go, I'm bad and wrong. This is so bad. Or this was such a hard, terrible time in my life. Instead of, wait a second, maybe it was a huge life transition that has completely changed you. Let's rename it and honor it for that. What if it was a huge journey to Italy that changed you and on and on? My big life transition, my big Italian journey, my spiritual crisis, right? My spiritual awakening. Rename it. It makes such a difference, okay? So two more practices in the money practice area are one is choosing a bookkeeping system. I know this is so simple, it's so simple, but it's not because half the people that come to me are not tracking their finances. They, as, you know, they don't have clarity on what's coming in and what's going out. So infusing our bookkeeping practice with our values, the things that are vital and important to us in life. But for most people, Unless you're using paper and pencil, you'll need to choose some bookkeeping software to do your bookkeeping, including building your values into your tracking system by renaming your categories. So please know there's no perfect system. It doesn't exist. Maybe my husband will create it one day. He's thinking about it. Yep. I'm definitely still working on this concept because there still isn't a personal finance app out there that does exactly what I want it to do, which leaves me having to create massively complex spreadsheets. Though financial spreadsheets turn my wife on, they're super time-consuming to keep updated. But for the most part, um, there are some great systems. Choosing a bookkeeping system, I'll just name a few. So in the personal realm, Mint, Quicken, and iBank are great choices. And the fourth one is YNAB. My community is going nuts over this because it's an awareness tool and it's an interactive tool where Mint's um, is more like a quick glance to give you all your data. So it's a great starting point. And then Quicken is great for PC and iBank is great for Mac. So those are four bookkeeping systems for personal finances. Business finances, some of my favorites are QuickBooks. So I learned QuickBooks and I know it feels too robust or scary or big or traditional for so many people, but I love it because that's what I learned on. And so that's how I learned the language of money and business. And you don't have to use all the features. You can use a simple version of it. So there's QuickBooks. There's also um, versions that are more hip, like Mint, um, but for business are Cashew and Wave. And then a fourth one is Zero, X-E-R-O. And that's more for international folks. And if you want to do um, currency exchange, it's great for that. So this is an important, really, you know, it's an important piece is, to just pick one. And I know some of us get really stuck there. So I encourage you to do a body check-in. I encourage you to go online and just go to these different websites and just get a sense of how does it look? Do you need it to be visually appealing? Um, does it need to feel user-friendly? And just go to each of these different sites and do a body check-in and, and, and pick one. And just experiment with it and play around with it for a few months. Nothing's set in stone. And it's just really important to get in there and to have a bookkeeping system for your personal finances. Even if you want to send over your business, bookkeeping to a bookkeeper. And here's Trip again, explaining how he turns his bookkeeping into a weekly money practice. Every Monday I go through uh, and I download my transactions into uh, some software I have, iBank, I use a I Mac. Think. Okay. And, and then I have Mint. I use Mint for mint.com for a few things. Yeah. And just to see where things are going, where, where's money going, where's money coming in, where's it being spent. And I've just found that having that awareness is great. And what, for one of the things that, because I, I can start to get spun out, I can get a, like I'll create a story in my head. Oh, no, I'm going overboard. I'm, 
I've kind of lost track here and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm expanding too much, right? Mm. So it's time to contract. Mm. And I don't like that contracted feeling. So it's great to have the software to say, well, let's see. Yeah. Let's go get the flashlight and let's go look and see mm. if you're really expanding, you know, beyond whatever. And, mm. and so I, I found that that's great to help reel me in and say, oh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm not, I'm not overdoing anything here. Or, I, oh yeah, I could do that. And it's a hundred bucks or it's a thousand bucks. I can handle that. Mm. Okay, good. You know, so it, it helps to kind of face the boogeyman in the closet. I love that. So one of my other interviews was with Fabeku. I was mentioning him before we got on the call and he talks about, he says weekly he updates his money identity. He's like, okay, so where am I at this week? Or he says he even does it daily. That, that would be too much for me, but weekly. And it's similar mm. to you like, okay, I'm expanding. Am I expanding too much? The right amount or like just updating your sense. Right. Of- well, I do that. I do that on an almost daily basis. I have a just a, a document that where I just lay out what I want and what it's in, what what I'm doing and what it's in service of, and so I daily. will at, you do that daily. Too. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, you know, if I'm doing something and I'm like, what am I? Why am I doing this? Like, well, this sucks. This isn't feeling good. If I can't connect it to what's in that document, then I'm not doing it. Mm. It's out of here. So having a sense of what's in that document and what's about it, it's, you know, it's things like I can feel the soft grass under my feet. I'm, I'm able to hear the ocean. I'm able to like, it's just, what am I building? What do I want with my daughter? What do I want with my wife? You know, what do I want? And then the, part of that is the business. You know, who do I want to be working with? How many clients do I want? What does that translate to in, into the amount of money that I want to be making, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I would say on a, on a very, you know, if not daily, three, four times a week that I'm checking in with that document. Um, and so it asks me, it, it, it challenges me when I'm doing my thing. Am I stuck in my pattern where I'm limiting or I'm contracting or am I expanding into what I want? What actions am I taking to move me towards that? That's a great example of what it looks like on the ground to use these practical money management skills in the service of our personal growth. It's the integration of inner and outer practices around money that allow us to make real, lasting change in our life, at least in the areas of our life that money affects, which, as far as I can see, is almost every area of our life. Here's another great practice that integrates the inner and outer worlds of money. Barry calls them... Money dates is the next one. Yay, money dates! Okay, so money dates is, again, so simple and yet so profound. It could be five minutes a day. It could be 15 minutes every few days. It could be 30 minutes twice a week. Could be an hour a month. I would say at least do weekly at the beginning and the monthly and the quarterly and the yearly um, as a practice. And all it means is sitting down and honoring this garden. And there's things to do on a practical level like going online to look at your balances, to review your data and your numbers and to add in chocolate. Have I, 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 have I mentioned chocolate? So, <laughs> I mean, dark chocolate, organic chocolate. I know all, every, all the brands. So I, a little nibbling of dark chocolate when you're doing the body check-ins, when you're sitting down to do your money dates, light some candles, spray some essential oil spritzers, make it a sacred space, right? And so that's kind of like the fun part or the sacred part is the candles and the chocolate and, right? And nice flowers, the environment. The practical part is literally going online and looking at your balances, um, calling a new account um, and researching a new person that feels more in alignment with your values instead of using your family's old accountant or your family's old financial planner. So there's practical things to be done on a money date. Um, there's emotional things, there's a body check-in, please bring the body check-in to that. Um, there are psychological components, really watching your beliefs and tracking them and learning from them. And then there's spiritual components of, for me, really learning to cultivate uh, more trust in this area. So the, the, a few more things about money dates is that um, money dates with honeys is huge. And I just want to say a few things about that because 
I know we're moving mountains when couples do this work. I know we need to begin to do the work with ourselves and first be transparent here and that that's huge. And then when we're ready and willing and brave, we turn to our honey, right? And so having money dates as a practice with your honey is a big deal. And it may not feel so fun at first. It may be really uncomfortable um, and that's okay. And what I've seen over the years is that we certainly did not learn how to have an emotional relationship to money. And I know couples that have been together 10, 20, 30 years that have great intimacy in so many areas and even great communication skills and are really conscious. And as I was saying, money is still the area where the shadow is. But when it comes to couples, just please know that the invitation is to begin to have a practice with money dates and to go into them gently and kindly. And your very first money date may simply be story time where you each get 15 minutes and you light your candles and maybe have a little glass of wine and you each get 15 minutes and one person gets to talk for 15 minutes and talk about what they learned from their family and the beauty of it and the conscious parts of it and the challenges and the unconscious parts of it. And they get their time and the other person sits there quietly and just listens and then you switch and then the other person gets their 15 minutes. But know that this is a long journey, right? And it's really the invitation to create a safe space and a compassionate space so that you can deepen your intimacy with each other. So that's money date. And here's Barry talking with Terry Jordan, one of our most enthusiastic Art of Money members, about what money dates look like in her life with her husband. And a little heads up here, we were recording this in a lovely park in Portland, Oregon, and without knowing it, we set up our recording area right next to where folks bring their dogs to play. Things get a little barky for a second here before we move to another area of the park. What has happened with, with the money dates is it's not easy, okay. first of all, okay. because it brings up stuff. And my husband and I look at money a little differently. I'm always wanting to give it away, and he's making it. Mm -hmm. So here, I'm, he's the primary breadwinner. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, but look, we can give it to this cause and that cause. So we have some nice checks and balances. Um, but in terms of our philosophy of money, what your program has helped, and the Art of Money has helped me do, and me do with my husband, is have regular money dates where we sit down and really look at the numbers and listen to each other. So about values, that was really a, an important piece. You know, what does he value? Um, like you, Forrest, he likes, he's a cyclist, and so he he's wants an athlete, to, oh right? my gosh, like he wants to buy the, you know, eight, $9,000 bike with the $1,800 pedals because they're really cool. So, actually, they are. This cycling thing has been an area of learning and growth in our own marriage as well. Barry does not get the cycling thing, or the gear needed to do it, or why it's so expensive, but it's a huge part of my life and values. And there are areas of value in Barry's life that I don't get either. Here's Barry on this topic. And then you move into values conversations because no two people, again, spend and earn and save and invest in the same ways. So we're usually horrified by the way the other person does it. Like, I've been horrified that my husband likes expensive road bikes. He's horrified that I like lotions and self-care. I'm, I'm teasing, right? But we just maybe have the same values and visions on the surface, but it actually in the way that we represent it through the way that we spend money is different. So he had to make his case, you know, and present this road bike and present like, um, it would really help him with Lyme's disease, which it has. He's full in full remission right, from riding his bike every day. He said it would earn him major sexy points <laughs> by being in such great shape. He gave me a whole list <laughs> of really what this road bike would mean for him and the expense and all of it, and I, I understood. I understood. And then I got to make my case about my lotions, <laughs> my products, and my self-care. And at the end of the day, we both spend about the same amount in our areas of value. My cycling expenses are almost identical to the amount of money Barry spends on lotions and products and self-care, like acupuncture, massage therapy, chiropractics, and other healers she goes to. Rather than let our differences in value create a big rift in our marriage, we used it as a way to come closer, to understand what's really important to the other person, 
And when you understand each other better, you tend to feel more connected, and your money dates become much more meaningful and rich. Terry explains how her money dates with her husband have been getting more and more meaningful over time, and, okay. and it really has, for, for me anyway, has developed through the program because of that. So I want to hear about that because yes. you were saying you and your husband, like they, they're not always fun. No. Or sexy or no. comfortable no. or at first. Yep. And for, for lots of different levels, but one mm -hmm. is like you have different values or you spend your money in different ways. Right. You do money differently. A lot right. of couples polarize. Yes. Mm -hmm. So was this even like a new concept, like to bring you two together? The, the newness was to talk about it. Okay. But this is, it, it really comes down to being able to talk about it. And it, like it goes back to the whole taboo. One of the other things from the program, the beginning is of healing the past, money, shame and all that. And my upbringing was don't talk about it. So, and the same with my husband, don't talk about it. This was just almost like permission. Not that we needed it, but maybe we did. It's okay to talk about it. It's, it's okay, you can do this. And I remember going through the tax forms for, I think it was last year, maybe the year before. I think it was 2013, it was. And Bob saying, wow, my parents never did anything like this. Okay. Imagine if they did. Mm, so mean, sat down with sat, each other yep, with the tax forms yes, with the numbers. Numbers, and, yes. Okay. It was wonderful. It was. Mm -hmm. I felt like, wow, we're we're doing it. So you're doing something different than the generation before. Yes. Your parents did. Yes. The lineage you came yes. from around money. Yeah, you're yep. changing that story. Hi again. Thank you so much for joining me today. What you heard here is a delicious sample of the loving guidance, heartful inspiration, and practical tools you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. I hope you found something here to take with you, a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your own money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations and grab your favorite person you can find out more at barrytesler.com <laughs>